0: book of matthew chapter 5 we are at the beginning of what is called the sermon on the mount or the beatitudes in matthew chapter 5 verse 21 uh, we come across this little maybe what we call a sermonette and you remember when we first started the section starting in chapter 5 where now all the words are read chapter 5 chapter 6 all of chapter 7 are now these words in red This is Jesus sitting with his disciples there on top of the mountain there on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And I showed you guys pictures last week, but the privilege of understanding where this is taking place. This is a group of friends being discipled by Jesus Christ. And then as Jesus is talking, then this crowd starts to form. First of all, he starts with those supreme blessedness. Uh, Remember those beatitudes? Blessed are in that word to be happy. And then he goes into these little proverbs or these little mini sermons, if you will. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, we read the next of these sermonettes. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, uh, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, uh, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now you read this and, and you come to these words And you come to this section, and how many people, even in this building tonight, all of you amazing saints of the Lord, have ever called anyone a fool? Yes. What should happen to all of us? Yeah. Or even thinking hatred towards someone else. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? It doesn't just depend upon your actions. It's not just taking a a knife or a gun or or some sort of implement and killing someone. No, it's the very thought and intent of the very heart that we have. Because what is our heart? It's deceitful. It goes against the will of God. And Jesus, what he's doing to his friends, these apostles that are there, he's explaining these terms that it goes deeper than what it means to be like the Pharisees who stand on the corners, raise their hand, and say, look at me, because I'm doing these wonderful things. In fact, that was just the very previous section that we read last week. Don't be like the hypocrite, right? In fact, the word hypocrite is used 20 times in the New Testament. You guys know that, right? 20 times in the New Testament, Fifth. of those times are in the book of Matthew. Matthew uses the word hypocrite more than any other author in the entire Bible, okay? He uses it 15 times, especially here, chapter 6, chapter 5, chapter 7, and then again later on in the book. This word raka is like a slang term, okay? It means empty-headed okay? It's two siblings that are fighting in the back of the car, and they, boom, one starts something, and the other one has to finish it, but you can't finish it because the next person has to do it, right? And it gets louder and louder, or when you're trying to prove yourself right. It's not just for little kids. Do you know that we can be empty-headed too at times, where we want to prove our opinion or our whatever it is have to be right and what does the bible say about that what is pride it goes before the fall but what happens when i call a brother or even think the thought That my brother is this rock or empty headed or idiot or fool. Now, of course, if you go to the book of Proverbs, and thank God we were in the book of Proverbs probably about three years ago, uh, we we saw the word fool being used by King Solomon over and over again. And he used it with purpose. But there's a reason why that that King Solomon can call you a fool and you can't call someone else a fool. Because he wrote the inspired word of God. Okay? God will never call you a brother or tell you to tell a brother that they're a fool, okay? He will never do that. What does he tell you to do instead? I love what it says here. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Is there always a way for reconciliation? Now, the thing is, it's always on the part of the person that gets the conviction. Maybe the other person doesn't get the conviction. Maybe the other person doesn't even realize that they sinned against you or offended you in some way? Can can you go to them and at least say, this is something that I feel is between us. Can we talk about that? Or or, can you forgive me for saying this? Or can you forgive me for doing this to you? Or or maybe it's them and you can go to them. and, And this is something that's been bothering me. As long as it depends upon you, are we supposed to make peace with all people, including church people, by the way? Because unfortunately, this happens in the church a lot, where people argue, where people fight, where, where people bicker and gossip, and, and we're, we're supposed to be worshiping the Lord and, and maybe right across the aisle, someone that has offended you. This is especially true for communion, by the way. Uh, The privilege of communion is understanding that we have uh, this fellowship with God. And when I come to the altar, and this is what the picture is of coming to the altar, whether it's communion or coming to the Lord and, and asking him for the needs of my heart and realizing that there's something between me and God, can you go to your brother or sister and say, please? forgive me and then come back and know that god will hear you does god want to hear you yes he does this is the privilege and look at what it says in verse 25 there agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with them, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison, assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Isn't that interesting? Now, of course, What he's talking about here is if there's someone that may be suing you or or someone that you have offended in terms of a a robbery or something that you've done in a legal case. But is the same true for us and God? Do you understand what this word raka means? Empty-headed? When you call someone a fool, what you're telling them that person that is created in the image of God that's supposed to be that brother to you and you're telling them these words. What are you saying to God? That you created someone with an empty head. That you created this fool. The contrast between actions and thoughts, the condition, again, is always the cause. People cannot see our thoughts, but who can? And who do we all answer to? God. I don't know what you're thinking, but God does, right? I don't know your intents, but God does. Verse 27, it continues on. First, it was about murder. First, it was about hatred. First, it was about these intents of the thoughts. And then it goes to verse 27. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh, you might not have hatred towards someone, but are there other thoughts that can come up very quickly and very easily? Yeah. This is the understanding of what is happening in these verses. It comes down to a heart matter. It comes down to our very heart. And by the way, who can see that? God can. It's God who sees the intent, not one another. This is going to be important as we go further on when we're called to judge not lest you be judged, right? I don't know what's going on in your heart. You don't know what's going on in my heart. But does God Look at what it says there in verse 29, and it continues on. By the way, it gets more and more intense. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, if you're looking at this and you're reading this and you really want to understand this, what does it mean that there's going to just be a whole bunch of torsos in heaven? Cuz what will happen to every single person in this room? Blind, deaf, our arms cut off, our hands cut off, our feet cuz if you really literally obey this, what would you have to do to keep from sinning? Do you understand the very depth of the thoughts that Jesus is communicating to his apostles? Again, to the intent of the heart. Are there certain areas of your heart that you need to cut out? Those thoughts. Those things that you need to surrender to the Lord. Those things that you need to get out of your life, right? And it's so easy to fall into the trap, whether it's addiction or whether, whether it's something that you're you're thinking of or, or those thoughts that we we fall into the trap of thinking over and over again. This is why fellowship is so important. This is why accountability is important. What happened to COVID when COVID hit? A lot of people went back to those things because they were isolated, right? They went back to the addictions, the alcoholism or the pornography or the various the drug addictions or the things that they thought that they needed because they were isolated. How important is fellowship? And this is what Jesus is telling to his disciples there on the mountain as they're gathering around, as this crowd starts to gather around. These are the very issues that come to the very core of who we are as followers in Jesus Christ. Do I need to root out those sins? Cut off those things that are hindering us? What's causing you to sin? Right now, what's causing just between you and God? What is causing you to sin right now? Ho- hopefully, not like right now. Hopefully, after you leave this building. But do you understand that you can ask God, Lord, please take those things away from me? Many people misunderstand these sections, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, because we isolate these little sermonettes. But Jesus, he's speaking in these terms that they have to come one right after another, because then later on when he says, ask anything in my name, ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. Do you know what he's referring to? All the previous things, the the removal of the hatred. The removal of those lustful thoughts. The removal of all those things that we fall into such trap. This is the will of God. This is the will of God. How do we get rid of those things? How do we get rid of the sin? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just. Forgive you. At any time. Can I come to the Lord and ask him, or please remove these things from my life? The second thing you can do is to confess it to a brother or a sister. Help me in this. Help me in this. I I need your help in this. Someone that you trust. Someone that you know that is maybe more mature than you that would be able to help you through this. The next thing you can do is receive wise, wise counsel. In fact, this is what Jesus is doing with his disciples right now. He's giving them wise counsel. He's giving them these words of red that are in the scriptures that just pop out and bring us the bread of life. Look at what it says there. By the way, it starts with hate, then it goes to adultery, and then now it goes to divorce. Verse 31, for. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery by the way in every single one of these sections jesus gives this law or the, this truth from the old testament and then he says but i say but i say in fact three times he's already said that but i say what what authority is that, that someone can just a human being can come and say i said this and you have to obey it there's only one who can do that by the way It's Emmanuel, it's God with us. That's why the subtitle for the book of Matthew is prophetic power. You see, all these prophecies are coming true. Jesus is there in their midst, prophecy being fulfilled, preaching with power. No one else was doing that. None of the Pharisees, none of the Sadducees, they always had to refer back to the Old Testament. They always had to say, but this guy said this, or, or, or that guy said that. But what is Jesus saying? As God incarnate, I have the authority to tell you these things. Who, who always supersedes all authority? It's God, right? Now, of course, this is always an agreement with the old testament he's still telling them to obey the law but it goes deeper than just an outward appearance right it goes to the very heart of the matter for a a woman in this day who was married and their husband gives them this certificate of divorce what is their position now Uh, According to this, they can't remarry again, by the way, because now they're a divorced woman. And so if someone were to marry them, what is Jesus saying? You're going to be put in that position of of adultery again, right? Or, Or having to even sell your body or to do things that are not good. Whose fault is it, by the way? Whose fault is it? We always look at this. It's that person's fault or it's that person's fault. Do you understand what's happening between the husband and the wife? For this day, what they would do is they would hold this certificate of divorce over their wife's head and say, if you don't obey me, I'm going to divorce you. If you don't cook a good meal for me, I'm going to divorce you. If if you don't do this for me, I'm going to divorce you. And it was held over their head like some sort of rod. What is Jesus saying here? You shouldn't do that. You should love your wife, right? You should treat her as the more precious vessel, if you will. You should desire the back for them. You should love them as Christ loves the church. But what is the people, and especially the religious people, the one who knew the law, the little loopholes, if you will, the wife, if they're divorced, they commit adultery, but the husband can go and remarry because it doesn't say anything about the husband not being in adultery, right? If they go and remarry. I I know someone today who thinks that way. Does it apply to both parties, by the way? Yes, it does. Now, of course, we understand that there's a caveat, and of course, with a lot of these things, there's this caveat. Unless they commit sexual immorality. Is there a place for divorce according to the law? Yes. Yeah. If if there's abuse in the marriage, uh, is there a cause for divorce? Yes. This isn't just some frivolous thing like it's being described uh, here. A frivolous certificate of divorce can put a spouse in the position of adultery, especially uh, during this time when Jesus is talking. The Reliant upon their husbands, where, where most women didn't work or, or didn't have jobs. They, they were solely dependent upon their husbands, and, and their husbands can threaten them with this divorce. Uh, By the way, amongst those men that were up there, those apostles, were they married? Some of them were, right? Was Peter married? Yes. In fact, uh, later on, they're going to go to Peter's mother-in-law's house. So what does that mean? That he was married, right? And so all these applications of being uh, leaders in the Christian church or leaders in the apostles and understanding what it means it's not just the outward appearance it's the very thought it's those thoughts that I have toward my brothers or sisters it's those thoughts that I have toward other people it's those thoughts that I have toward the closest ones near me my own family have you ever thought sometimes these thoughts just come into my head but have you ever thought about this that sometimes we treat strangers better than our own family our own spouse bickering in the the parking lot and you 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 come out of the car and then what happens there's this transformation all of a sudden hello good to see you brother and sister right and then you go back into the car and then what happens on the way home you continue the argument right You you can ask Emily when she comes back, okay? I'm not, yeah. She knows a lot better than I do. And it's always my fault too, by the way, too. Verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. Wow. The verse three are all about Those that are around me, okay? Those that that I may hate or commit adultery or divorce. And now it becomes between us and God. The very words that come out of our mouth, the very things that we say, look at what it says there. But I say to you, do not swear at all. Neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no. This goes to the very heart of trust the very words that you speak, the handshake, if you will, the things that you say, I will be there or I can't make it, the yes or the no. And it's so easy in our society to, to say, I'm going to be there and then we don't show up. All of us are susceptible to this. You know that, right? But what do you have to do if you break a promise? Then the next time, you have to make the promise bigger or stronger. You, you swear by, by oh God, or you swear by your grandmother, or you swear by your little toe, or you swear by your mother, or whatever it is, right? Yep. You, you have to swear by sec- something greater the next time in order to convince the person that you actually mean what you say. What is Jesus telling us in these verses? Just whatever you say, let your yes be yes and your no. What should come out of your mouth is the truth. What should come out of your mouth is the truth. It's so easy to say, I'm going to be there and then not go. Or I'm going to help you and not be there to help. Now, I understand circumstances always come up in my life, too. I remember very specific times when I said, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. And because of circumstances or things that came up, I I wasn't able to go. All of us have those things. But can you go to that person and say, please forgive me. I wasn't able to make it. Yeah. And thank God that there's always forgiveness. In fact, that goes to the very first part where there's this judgment, where there's understanding that I need to go to my brother before I come and, and give my offering before God and does God forgive yeah and by the way does that build trust do those mistakes build trust again the rebuilding if you will of trust look at the last phrase there for whatever is more than these is from the evil one what does that mean what does that mean when i speak an untruth out of my mouth who am i imitating the father of lies the deceiver satan himself right when i tell an untruth or or deceive another person who am i acting like the evil one right This is what Jesus is talking about. The tradition of swearing by someone higher than ourselves in order to convince someone we are telling the truth is really juvenile. You know that, right? You remember when you were a kid and you were on the the playground or whatever it was and and you had to out-swear the other person or out-promise the other person? This is really juvenile. That's really immature, if you will, right? When you have to say, oh, I, I, I swear by heaven, or I swear by this authority. And in reality, it's understanding that the t- words that you come out of your mouth should be the truth the first time. Just because of who you are and who you follow verse 38 it continues on and again these are little sermonettes but they're all pieced together they're important in terms of the context of the chapter here you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but i tell you not to resist an evil person but whoever flaps you on your right cheek turn the other to him also wow what what is jesus saying here for verse he's talking about the thoughts and intents of the heart and then then he's talking about cutting off your hand or your eye and now he's saying turn the other cheek and let the person slap you on the other cheek what is jesus talking about here How patient has God been with you? How long did he wait for you to come? How many times have we yelled at God or betrayed God or or offended God? And how much grace has he lavished upon over and over again? When did Christ die for us? When we were his enemy. When we were dead in our trespasses and sin. This is when Christ reached out to us at our lowest place. And what does he ask for us in return? Go and tell someone else. Go and tell someone else. And the example here is, of course, what Jesus did there on the cross when those soldiers when those people they were mocking and they were jeering to him uh, what did he say from the very cross as he was nailed up there father forgive them wow the same thing with us what he's saying here in terms of this old testament law that was the tooth for the tooth or the eye for the eye If someone were to poke out your eye then you had the right To poke out their eye. Okay? Or if someone knocked out a tooth. Then then you had the right to do the same. For right, wrong, for wrong. But what is Jesus saying? And again, this goes to a higher law. But I say Jesus is saying here. Turn the other cheek. Look at what it continues to say. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. A Roman soldier in this day and age was allowed to ask any citizen or any person that was on the highway to be able to take their, their mail or that their, not M-A-I-L, but the armor that they're wearing or their cloak or whatever it is, and give it to a person. And they were required by law to carry it for one mile, one Roman mile. And what is Jesus saying? Go above and beyond. Go above and beyond. To, to a Roman soldier, a, a person who was at this time, would have been oppressing the Jews. What is the standard for a follower of Jesus Christ? Now, this isn't to become saved. This is because they are already saved. This is the understanding that I want to follow Jesus Christ and imitate him as a Christian. To turn the other cheek. To go the extra mile. To give to him who asks you, And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Have you ever had these verses thrown in your face? I have. You have to give to me because the Bible says so, right? You have to do this for me because the Bible says so, right? I love what Matthew 10 verse 16 says. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Does the book of Proverbs give very good advice to people that are this way? Yeah. And of course, there's always understanding. Can I ask the Lord, please give me wisdom in these situations? The tradition, or the, this, always requires an examination of the circumstances, and not just blindly giving. There, there's an understanding behind this. But what happens when I give away all my money to anyone that asks? What happens to my family, right? And Jesus is making these caveats. To make sure that the people that are listening understand what this really means, there's the understanding of all of scripture. Going back even to the Psalms and the Proverbs, the, the, those guidelines, if you will, of wise living. That the person who doesn't work shouldn't do what? Shouldn't eat, right? The, 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 this is the case of understanding behind the circumstances of of whether it's a neighbor or a friend or a family member that is in need, real need, and they come to you and they ask you for something. Should you ever withhold your hand? No. Because the need exists. The problem is, most people, when they ask, it's out of want. It's out of their squandering of their own finances and then coming to you and then holding the Scriptures before your very face. No, there there should be wisdom behind the action in every single case. Verse 43. Again, in context, understanding this, you have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Uh, Again, going back to the Old Testament. But I say to you, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Uh, Again, this, this higher authority, uh, Jesus saying, but not only did, did Jesus have the power to heal, not only did Jesus have the power to do things here on this earth, but also as the authority, God incarnate, the bread of life here on the planet, right there in this their midst, giving this higher authority, not putting down the Old Testament, but superseding uh, the Old Testament. When, when someone offends you or an enemy comes against you, what should you do? that you have every right to take them to court, you have every right to get the vengeance against them. And what does Jesus say? Pray for them. Be nice to them. Be kind to them. Be gracious to them. But Jesus, you don't understand, right? God, you don't understand. Yes, he does more than us, by the way. Does he understand more than us? The offense of the cross. The the offense that Jesus is going to go through over and over again, and yet he is going to forgive. Consistently as an example to us. By the way, if you read the book of First Peter, it, it talks about submission. What it means to to submit to the cross. What it means to submit to God and Jesus Christ being the example of submission. It's always in relation to his suffering. It's always in relation to his suffering. He submitted to the suffering that he went through. And if he's the one that we follow. If he's the one that we're imitating, that's what Christian means, imitator of Christ, little Christ, what should I do as well? What should we do as well? Verse 45, it, it continues on there, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Why does Matthew use the example of tax collector? Because he was one. He he doesn't use the example of, of some other nefarious career. No, he uses the example of a tax collector because he knows what it was like as the tax collector. You you treat your family with love. You treat your family by providing for them. And then you go and you can do whatever you want to anybody else. You can extort them, which is what he did, by the way. You can take advantage of them, right? And what Jesus is saying here in these verses is, is everyone wants to treat their family with love. Everyone wants to give to their children. Everyone wants to love those that are in their family. It's your enemies. It's really when it gets down to the rubber meeting the road. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, but do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect when i love those who hate me or i love those who are my enemies who am i acting like who am i acting like jesus wow that's what jesus did and it's so easy to get caught up in in those things of the world, those things that everyone else is having to deal with. I I gotta do this, I I gotta sue that person, or I I gotta pursue my own interests, or I have to do this thing against this person because they did it to me. It's the neighbor syndrome, right? You know, they, they did something to your lawn, so you gotta do something to their lawn, right? They do something to your trash cans, so you gotta do something to their trash cans, right? They do something to your house, you have to do it to their house. And it escalates and escalates. What is Jesus saying? Forgive them, do good to them. And again, of course, it's in the the context of what it means to be wise. When I do anything for someone else and they do in like kind, that is our reward. Because it's temporary when i do something for someone who can't repay or can't do likewise to me do you know that you get a greater reward a much greater reward all these things that jesus is talking about here are the temporary things of the world will your neighbor always be your neighbor will your enemy always be your enemy no it's a temporary situation But will you go to heaven one day and will it be eternal? And the rewards that you get in heaven, how long will they last? Forever and ever. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. I love this. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life. Again, the example is Jesus Christ. Chapter 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a a charitable deed, uh, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and in the street. They may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. Have you ever waited for a certain opportunity when the pastor is perfectly walking by to do something good or or your spouse or your boss or whoever it is and you wait for the perfect moment when you know they're going to be walking by so that they see the good thing that you do what kind of a reward are you going to get good good job that's your reward right there you got it you got your reward But when you do it in secret, who sees it? You you may do it when no one is around, who sees it every single time? Guaranteed. God sees it. When I do it for the glory of God alone, he sees it. And how long does that reward last? How long does it last? The boy was just quick. The clapping with the, the, the gift certificate or whatever it is was just quick. It's going to be spent like that. But how long does the reward in heaven last? In chapter 6, we see this temporary versus the eternal. The example of what it means to get something that, that's here on this earth that rusts and that moss destroy and, and that's easily expended in heaven compared to that. It is eternal. I love the way that Luke puts it. And by the way, a lot of these examples are found in Matthew and also in Luke. They're just not all together in Luke. They're they're mainly found in chapter 6 and chapter 11 of, of Luke. They're split apart. But in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, it says this, Then he also said to them, or to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper... Do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Where you invite people that can't repay you for doing this. Wow. You take someone out that can't repay you in kindness. Or you invite them over when they can't invite you over. Wow. Again, who are you acting like? We're acting like Jesus, right? We're acting like the one who did the same to us because can I ever repay God? None none of us can. And and what did God do for us? He invited us to heaven. He he invited us to the best place in the entire universe, above and beyond anything we can ever comprehend, giving us a place in heaven itself, and we can never, ever repay that. Again, the temporary versus the eternal, that little kindness that you give to someone else, taking them out or helping them or doing something for them, that, that temporary thing, that again is temporary versus the eternal. What did God do for you? And should I just be a that little imitation here on the earth? The contrast here, as we've been seeing, and, and we'll see this, is the, the example of the hypocrites. Because, again, remember, Matthew uses this word 15 times. Most of the times are going to be here in, in, in chapter 6 and 7 that we're going to see. In the very next verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrite. You guys know what a hypocrite is? It's a person who has a facade or a mask. They look like one thing in one place, and then they look like something else in another. It's the Sunday Christians, if you will. It's the the Christians that come on Christmas, Easter only, the CEOs, right? The the ones that have that facade here in the building, and as soon as they leave, they act like a different person. Sunday Christians, Monday heathens, right? Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Don't be like the hypocrites. Because is that the the, the accusation that the world gives of the church, by the way? Oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Look at what Jesus says there in verse 5. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. I've been in churches where people have wanted to be seen. Now, of course, we can't judge the heart. We don't know their heart. But can you see their fruit? I'm grateful to come to a church where people are free to raise their hands. People are free to clap. People are free to, to praise the Lord loudly. Thank God. And, and I always love sitting in the back with my mom or my wife and sitting in the back and being able to watch everybody's back and lifting their hands and praising the lord i love that but if you're doing it for the people behind you or the people beside you or the people that you want to impress you're in the wrong place you're doing it for the wrong reason who should i be raising my hands for who should i be clapping for who should i be praising loudly The lord right because he sees it he is the one that is looking at the heart he is the audience of one right he's the reason why we come it's not to impress someone else but you when you pray go into your room and when you have shut your door pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you open that prayer cloth, those camel knees, those times where you're just crying out to the Lord in private, asking for those requests, and then seeing Him answer. Wow! Again, the temporary versus the eternal, right? The the the, the things that are just temporary people see, oh, that's a great person. I love that person. That's a great Christian, right? They're they're worshiping the Lord, right? And the accolades that we can receive rather than understanding that the reward is eternal when I fall on my face before God. Verse 7, we'll end it here. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathens do. Or they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now there's, you have to understand this. The term vain repetitions means vain repetitions. Okay, not just repetition, not just. And you've heard we get into these ruts sometimes. Oh Lord Jesus, oh, and we say it over and over again, or we have these phrases, or maybe it's a prayer that you pray in route and by the way this is right before the lord's prayer which can also be prayed in vain by the way where we just say it we do, and i don't want to accuse someone of this but it those things that we say over and over and over again if it's in vain if it's vanity or if it's done in a way that's just out of route without thinking about it without having that heart matter it truly means nothing. It's only the understanding of of coming before the Lord and pouring your heart out before him, knowing that he is the only one that can answer your prayers. He he is the only one that hears your prayers. There's meaning behind the word. It's not just something that is read. It is not just something that is said. It is not just something that I'm good at doing because I did it before. When it's done in vain repetition, the Lord will not hear. It's those religious phrases that mean nothing. It's I heard someone else say that, so I have to say it. I heard the formula, so I have to say it. People, you, and again, this is right before the Lord's Prayer. People can do the same exact thing with the Lord's Prayer. It's a formula. I have to do it this way. Repeating things to fill up the time, people also do. The, the, those long prayers. The person that, that's in the group, That the, and, and again, the, this is always between us and God. The understanding is that it's done to be heard by other people. Oh, look at how good I pray. Or look at how long I pray, right? No. Does God hear the cries of your heart? Does God hear the word help and will he run? Yeah. But by the way, and we're going to be getting to this next week when we get to the Lord's prayer. Read John 17. Okay? Along with the rest of this chapter, along with chapter 6, chapter 7. Read John 17. Because in John 17, Jesus actually prayed. In fact, it's the longest prayer that he prays in the entire Bible, okay? John 17, okay? And then look at it compared to this next prayer, the, the example prayer, or what we normally call the Lord's Prayer. And, and you're going to see the same example here, okay? The comparison, if you will. But, but this next prayer that's coming up, it's just an example it, it, it's just a, uh, an example that Jesus gives to the dis- disciples to pray. But when you pray, he says in the very next verse, "Who are you addressing? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy." So I hope uh, you know you read ahead uh, this coming week. I hope you have the privilege of being able to look to John teen. This is one of those amazing sections in the entire Bible, again, where Jesus is teaching these truths that get to the very heart, the temporary versus the, t- the temporal, the understanding of who Jesus is in his very authority, prophetic power, powerful preaching being taught to the people at this time. So, Father, tonight is... We approach you again. I thank you so much. It's so easy to get into those ruts, those phrases that we say over and over again, those phrases that we know by heart, and sometimes those can be vain repetitions. Lord, please forgive us when we do that. Help us to examine our prayers. Help us to examine our hearts. Help us to examine our thoughts. Maybe those hateful things or those lustful things or those things that come to the very heart of the matter, Lord. Lord, please forgive us. Help us as we, we go our separate ways tonight to be changed. Maybe it was something that was said or, or a verse that was read or, or maybe something that was the pricking of the heart or the conviction from the Holy Spirit, Lord. And we too can obey this tonight, that we would go to a brother, that we would go to someone that we've offended or hurt or Or something that has been happening to us Lord and then help us to fall on our faces tonight and bring those things to you Lord Lord I thank you so much for this church their love for you Lord I ask that you would help us to focus upon you this week we would glorify you in our very bodies our very being Lord and we've put into practice these things that we've learned Lord Help us not to be like the hypocrites. Help us not to be like the fools, Lord. But help us to desire to follow you wisely and serve you with all of our heart. Lord, I ask you, bless these my friends and my family gathered here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Just one.